So you're going to be a starving artist? Have you considered something more, you know, practical? How will you make money? Why not get an MBA instead? We've all heard it before. Your family's well-meaning pleas with you to ditch your art and find something practical to pursue in your career. Whatever that means. During Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits, Students in MSU's Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies program will explore stories from industry professionals across arts and culture, arming you with all the knowledge you need to not just make it, but thrive. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits. I'm today's host, my name's Catherine. So I don't know about you, but this pandemic has really got my mind uh, running about a mile a minute, trying to figure out how to pivot after, well... Not to bring it up, but COVID-19. I work in the event industry. So as you can imagine, work's been pretty slow this year. So I decided to take this extra time to, one, go back to school, and two, finally start moving towards starting up this arts business I've been thinking about for, like, ever. There's so many different business models I could approach, and in general, I'm just looking for some advice on how to start. So I decided to reach out to Mike Marriott from Opportunity Arts, a fantastic arts organization supporting artists right here in Lansing, where I live. Hey, Mike. Welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks, Catherine. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Um, so to start, would you mind just giving us an overview of what Opportunity Arts is and what you do here in Lansing? Uh, so basically, Opportunity Arts, um, it's promotion and administrative uh, services, like you said, um, for individual artists and understaffed arts organizations. Before I moved, lived in Lansing, I lived in New York and worked there in the art, in arts administration. And um, I noticed that the way the current model was set up, you know, a lot of organizations will hire a marketing director and a development director and an executive director. And then what they'll do is they'll turn around and they'll stipend the artist. Well, without the artist, there is no art. Um, and I was a tap dancer turned arts administrator. And basically what... Opportunity Arts is, is we provide those services that you would get from all of those salaried positions, but we offer it to the creative as they need it, as they can afford it. I know as an artist myself, um, looking to start a business, there are so many different things for me to think about. <laughs> so having a, that support, administrative support is great. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the artists that you work with. Um, well, we started, when we started in New York, we started a startup in dance and we worked with Dave Alois Farron, um, mostly. She's, uh, Dance Magazine recently named her one of the top seven black dance artists to have on your radar. Um, so we worked with her uh, in New York promoting shows, um, you know, uh, press releases, publicity, all that kind of stuff. And then here in Lansing, um, a couple of our affiliates, uh, a lot of well-known names here in the area, uh, the Artist Umbrella is an Opportunity Arts affiliate. We've got Group 2 Saxophone Quartet, uh, Sarah Sanders, who's a professional body painter, Sarah Wallace, who's a professional vocal performer and opera singer, Autumn Hopkins, uh, Mila Lynn, both visual artists. Um, so we have a wide variety of uh, artists. Uh, Danielle Smith with Lithic Creations, they create custom-made jewelry with Michigan Stones. So we work with uh, a gambit of uh, different artists uh, locally. Oh, wonderful. I love it. Love hearing about everything going on in Lansing. We have such a thriving and growing arts community. 
So uh, as I was going through your, your website, learning more about some of the services that you provide, um, I learned that you provide fiscal sponsorship for different arts organizations and artists. Could you tell me a little bit about what fiscal sponsorship is? So yeah, through our partnership with Pinnacle, uh, they're a uh, company in New York City um, that has been doing fiscal sponsorship for 40 years. So what fiscal sponsorship is basically is it allows an individual artist to apply for grants and accept tax deductible donations under an umbrella of a nonprofit and that nonprofit being Pentacle without the artist having to start their own individual nonprofit. So that's kind of how it breaks down. Um, Artist Umbrella is actually um, a fiscally sponsored project. They're not a 501c3 nonprofit. And they are the first uh, arts entity to receive a grant, a first arts entity fiscally sponsored project to receive a grant from uh, the Arts Council of Greater Lansing. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so do you tend to see a lot of arts, uh, future arts organizations who are maybe starting off as like a limited, limited liability corporation thinking in the future of applying for a 501c3, um, seeking out the sponsor, fiscal sponsorship? Uh, absolutely. I think too, that a lot of, a lot of organizations have, uh, decided to stay in that fiscal sponsorship realm. The one thing that I like about it is it keeps the creative at the top of the uh, you know, the top of the power ladder, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, again, back to what we were talking about earlier with that traditional nonprofit structure. Um, normally you have a board of directors at the top followed by an executive director. And then third in command is the artistic director. And again, without the artistic aspect of it, none of the other positions are, are needed. If there's no, if there's no art, everything else is irrelevant. Um, and so what I like about fiscal sponsorship is it keeps the creative at the top. They are required through their, through their partnership with Opportunity Arts and with Pinnacle, they are required to dot all their I's, cross all their T's, make sure that every dollar that they bring in that is donated uh, or any grant money that comes in goes directly to the artistic project. Um, so it's, I always joke, um, you can't, being a fiscally sponsored project, you can't take the money that you make as a fiscally sponsored project and put a garage on your house. However, you could put a mural on the side of your house. Um, that's kind of a, it's kind of a joke that I go with, but, um, but it's more to point is the money has to go towards the artistic endeavor. Um, but yeah, I just think it, it gives a lot of creative freedom um, to the entity. So for instance, with Artist Umbrella, um, you know, Brandon Navin is the owner and founder and, uh, and everything, and they are an LLC. Um, this gives them a way to generate additional revenue in addition to their ticket sales and things like that. Um, and again, at the end of the year, then they sit down with Pentacle and, you know, make sure all those I's are dotted, all those T's are crossed. Um, but I feel that they're able to move much quicker in this business model as compared to the traditional okay, well, now we have to go to the board and the board has to approve this and then it has to come back down, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so in that position, they're still able to um, apply for government funding or um, seek funding from organizations like the Lansing Arts Council you mentioned? Yep, Lansing Arts Council. It's got to be, the, the thing about fiscal sponsorship is uh, as a 501, when a 501c3 applies, um, it to it for a government grant sometimes those grant wordage will say like if a michigan council of arts and cultural affairs says this has to be a michigan-based 501c3 um 
Pinnacle is a New York-based 501c3. So there might be a hang-up on that, but then there's also NISCA. Every state has their Michigan Council of Arts and Cultural Affairs. NISCA is New York State Council on the Arts. Um, if there is a travel grant that New York State Council on the Arts is putting out um, to come to New York and study for two weeks, and an artist that's based in Michigan wants to apply for that as a New York fiscally sponsored artist, they can do that. Uh -huh. So it's still very new. It's it, it gets a little conf confusing because it's still very new, um, new-ish, especially to our part of the country. But yeah, that's kind of, but a lot of, but like foundational grants, so like MAP Fund, Ford Foundation, all those foundational grants, it's, it's much easier as a fiscally sponsored project to apply for those than say government grants. But I think the big one is the individual donations. So like if someone is a fan of your art and they want to donate $100 to you, there's a processing three, three, excuse me, processing fee through Pinnacle, but then that person can turn around and write that hundred dollars off on their taxes. And so I think those small individual donations is where that comes in. Oh sure, sure. Oh that's great. So yeah, and you can also attach your crowd your crowdfunding platforms to your fiscal sponsorship. Mm -hmm which I think is also pretty, uh, pretty helpful. Yeah, in that that, that's great. That's a great way for artists to um, seek out individual sponsorship um, and support. And then also, yeah, that's tax deductible for those um, supporters. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, I like to, if they go to businesses and they want a business to sponsor their project, the business can then decide, okay, are we taking this out of our advertising budget or are we taking this out of our charitable giving? So it opens up more coffers to the artists to make. Mm -hmm. Um, so in addition to fiscal sponsorship, what are some of the other services that Opportunity Arts provides to artists? <clears throat> so reaching out as far as uh, we do press releases um, and press uh, press pushes, so liaison to the press. Um, we manage uh, artists' social media for them, which frees up more time for creativity. Again, being a tap dancer turned arts administrator and working with dancers originally, you know, um, after a day of rehearsals and choreographing and practicing and everything else that they're doing, the idea that then they would have to turn around and manage their social media or send out a newsletter or <laughs> do all the, you know, compile contacts, uh, create a budget, all of those fun businessy things. Uh, those are kind of the things that we, that we do. And uh, weirdly I enjoy doing, <laughs> um, that's kind of my creativity. Cause, um, when I was growing up as a tap dancer, I would, I would do dance competitions. So similar, like you'd see the kids compete on dance moms and those kind of things. So I would go to these dance competitions and I enjoyed competing and I played sports. And so then when I got into college on a dance scholarship, there was still the performing aspect and you audition and things like that. But a lot of times being able to compete, that competitive aspect was gone. And then I moved over into arts administration and it was, did you sell out the show? Did you get the grant? Did your client get booked for the gig? And there were suddenly these competitive measurables again. And that's kind of the thing that drew me towards arts administration because it fed both my passion for the arts and my competitive drive. And so that's like, so when people are like, wait, you actually enjoy doing like these businessy things? And it's like, yeah, because this is, this is what feeds that competition because I have my competitive measurables mm -hmm. again. So you said that you recently moved to Lansing. How long have you been here? Uh, let's see. Three years and three months. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, so I've been here for about uh, going on 12 years now. Um, 
And the reason that I've stuck around is I see such an opportunity for artists um, and arts organizations here in Lansing to grow. Um, where do you see Lansing in like five, 10 years as far as the art scene? Well, even now, I think the, the thing when we when my wife and I moved from New York and came here and started Opportunity Arts, one of the advantages that I saw in Lansing was it's geographic. It was geographically perfect. You can live in Lansing and basically it's a Grand Central Station to you're two hours from Detroit. You're an hour from Grand Rapids. You're an hour and a half from Kalamazoo. You're an hour from Ann Arbor. Um, you're four hours from Chicago, but with the time change, you I mean you can have lunch in Lansing and happy hour in Chicago. Um, and so that was that was the thing that was kind of the draw. Then we got here, and the amount of talent, like I feel Lansing's an anomaly for the amount of artistic talent that we have here. That like other other cities, Lansing size aren't producing this amount of talent, like. I'm from Peoria, Illinois originally, and they might have like five, like, you know, like quote unquote household name artists. Lansing has like 10 per genre. I mean, you can go down the list of poets in this city and it's, it's breathtaking. You can go down the lists of musicians, the lists of dancers, like there's 29 dance studios with a 517 area code. Like it's, it's amazing to me, the amount of talent that that's here. And so I think in five to 10 years, I've already started to refer to Lansing as the creative's capital because it's, you know, I, again, the competitor in me, uh, you know, there's 49 other state capitals and we, you know, we're, we're in that group. We're actually, I think, rated 26th in size for a metropolitan statistical area. So we're right there in the middle. But I mean, if you look at a, a city like Atlanta, they might have a bigger art scene than Lansing does but they also have a much greater population than we do. Um, and you look at our, our talent per population, I would put it right now, uh, I would put it up against any other state capital in the country. So five years to t five to 10 years from now, I think a lot of, you're, you're gonna see a lot of artists moving from those bigger cities, especially with the pandemic and mm -hmm. everything making everything virtual. Everything has become virtual, so like, the definition of what is local and and your audience and where they're at and how you can reach them, it's it's changed. And so I think a town, a city like Lansing, where you can move here, you can buy house, you can buy land, you can build an arts commune, you can do what you know what I mean. Like there's so many things you can do here. Uh, I think the sky's the limit, and I think we're gonna have a big artistic explosion, um, not just in Na Lansing but nationally. But I think Lansing has a really great opportunity to establish themselves again as the creative capital. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. That's that's why I've I've stuck around and I keep coming back. It always feels like yeah, we're on the cusp of something awesome. Um yeah, and as you said, an incredible music scene. Um oh the blues scene here, my God. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. You can't really get that many other places. So No, and it's and it's I think once people realize it, I think that's the other thing too. Um, one of the other things that I do is I serve on the, uh, I'm the vice chair of the mayor's arts and culture commission and being in that room with like, you know, people like Barb Whitney from the Lansing art gallery and education center and Megan Martin from the arts council. And, you know, I want to name all 33 people on there, but like Terry Terry and what he's doing over at urban beat. And there's just, 
it's you know it's it, it makes me speechless which is very hard to do um, but it's it's just yeah like you said the blues you just go down the list our folk scene dylan at the robin theater the robin theater is a gem um this is just this is just shout out time uh cedar street art collective mm-hmm. i don't know if you're familiar with them um absolutely yeah but the, i yeah to me and i've talked to annie signs about that and she's the operations director over there their goal is to be visual arts Motown. And I, and that's the thing too, is in Lansing, like the other thing I like about this community is somebody could be like, oh, you know what? It'd be really cool if we had this. And then a creative goes, okay, and makes it. Boy, it'd be really cool if we had a variety show that featured a bunch of artists that may not have that plat- artist umbrella that comes to, you know, then the artist umbrella is created. Like it's just, it's, it's, I don't know. To me, it's just motivating and exciting to see everything that they're do- that everybody's doing here and that you can get out here it's like michigan is really the artistic frontier to me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that that's a great segue into my my next question um i wanted to ask you so i myself like i said i'm an artist and i'm also looking into um starting my own arts nonprofit or some sort of arts organization bridging art and science um so i was looking at different business models i was looking at you know this fiscal sponsorship with uh, opportunity arts just sort of exploring different things um so I wanted to ask you, if you had to give any artists looking to start a new business three pieces of advice, um, what would they be? Ooh, that's a good question. So three pieces of advice. Uh, one would be if you're, if you, you know, I, I've, I've said before to, to people in my artistic circles, there's a difference between being an artist and a hobbyist and a professional artist. If this is what you want to do as your career or as your side hustle or as a means of generating income and providing for yourself and your family. Um, if you're an artist and that's what you, what you think, I would say, absolutely file for an LLC, uh, become at least a single member LLC, because one thing that that does is that allows you to write a lot of your business expenses off on your taxes. Um, the second thing that I would say is, um, again, as an individual artist or as an arts organization that's coming up, start with fiscal sponsorship. Become fiscally sponsored um, so you can kind of learn those ropes, even if that's something that you want to eventually become a 501c3. At least now you can become fiscally sponsored and you're, you're able to get that revenue stream as well. Um, so I guess to piggyback on that. As an artist, always view as many different revenue streams that you can bring in, whether it's tickets, whether it's fiscal sponsorship, whatever those things are to generate revenue for your artistic endeavors. Um, And then the third thing I would say, advice to artists, and this one I can't, like, I can't push this enough. Be confident and have confidence in yourself and your business. Um, I feel that in the arts, a lot of times, you know, it's, I heard people say the other day, like, oh, we want to make sure that the arts are funded and we want to make sure that the artists are compensated. You would never say that to an electrician or a plumber or a, a contract worker like that. You wouldn't be like, oh, I would like to compensate you for fixing my bathroom. Like, that's not a, like, it just sounds weird. But in the arts, we do that all the time. And so I think for artists, having that confidence of, I am an artist. I am a small business owner because really that's what you are. You're an, you're a business owner. I'm sure you would agree. That was very practical advice. If you want to learn more about opportunity arts or fiscal sponsorship, be sure to visit their website at opportunityarts.org.
This has been Practical Advice for Impractical Pursuits, a Michigan State University Arts, Cultural Management, and Museum Studies podcast. Thank you to our program director, K.F. Latham, and the Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters for supporting this project. The opinions expressed on this program do not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. To hear more episodes and learn how Michigan State is training future arts administrators to manage with compassion and care, visit artsmuseumsmanagement.cal.msu.edu forward slash podcast.